Part three, chapter fourteen of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter fourteen. On the thirty-first of December, O.S. On the very eve of the new year, nineteen ten, Le Ravion, a ball was given by a grandee of Catherine's time. The diplomatic corps and the emperor had promised to be present. The grandee's splendid mansion on the English quay was illuminated, with countless windows all ablaze. At the brilliantly lighted red-carpeted entrance stood a guard of police, comprising not alone gendarmes, but even the chief of police and half a score of officers. Carriages drove away, and new ones kept taking their places, with red-liveried lackeys, and lackeys with plumes in their hats. From the carriages descended men in uniforms, and men adorned with stars and laces, and as the steps were let down with a bang, ladies in satins and ermine cloaks hastily and noiselessly picked their way over the carpeted entrance. Almost every time when a new equipage drove up, a flurry of excitement ran through the crowd, and hats were removed. The sovereign? No, a minister, prince so-and-so, an ambassador. But did you see his plume? Such were the remarks heard in the crowd. There was one man better dressed than the rest, and he seemed to know who everybody was, and called by name the famous grandees of the time. Already a third of the guests had arrived, but at the Rostovs, who were also invited, hasty preparations were still in progress. Many had been the rumors and anticipations in the Rostov family about this ball, many the apprehensions lest they should not get their invitation, lest their dresses should not be ready, and everything ordered as it should be. Maria Ignatyevna Peronskaya, an old friend and relative of the countess, was to accompany the Rostovs to the ball. She was a lean and sallow Frilina, who belonged to the Empress Dowager's court, and took charge of her country cousins, the Rostovs, in their entry into Petersburg High Life. They were to call for her at ten o'clock in the evening, at her residence on the Tarwit Gardens, and now it only lacked five minutes of ten, and still the ladies were not dressed. This was the first great ball to which Natasha had ever been in her life. She had got up at eight o'clock that morning, and had been all day long in a state of the wildest excitement and bustle. All her energies, from earliest morning, had been expended in the effort to have all of them, herself, Sonya, and her mamma, dressed to perfection. Sonya and the countess trusted themselves entirely into her hands. The countess was to wear a dark red or masaka dress of velvet. The two girls, gowns with pink silk overskirts and roses in their corsages, while their hair was to be coiffed à la grich. The most important part had been already done. Their feet, hands, arms, necks, and ears had been washed, perfumed, and powdered with extraordinary care. On their feet they wore open-work silk stockings and white satin slippers with bows. Their toilettes were almost finished. Sonya had her dress on, and so had the countess, but Natasha, who had been helping the others, was behindhand. She was still sitting in front of the mirror in a pannier that covered her slender shoulders. Sonya, already dressed, was standing in the middle of the room, fastening on a last bow with a pin that hurt her dainty fingers as she tried to press it, squeaking through the ribbon. "'Not that way! Not that way, Sonya!' cried Natasha, turning her head suddenly and putting her hands up into her hair, which the maid, who was dressing it, did not have time to let go of. "'Don't pull the bow that way! Come here!' Sonya sat down in front of her. Natasha pinned the bow in a different position. "'If you please, Baryshnya, I can't arrange your hair this way,' exclaimed the maid, still holding her dark locks. "'Oh, good gracious! Wait, then! There, that's the way, Sonya.' 
are you almost ready asked the countess it's ten o'clock already in a minute in a minute and are you all ready mamma only have my headdress to put on don't you do it without me cried natasha you won't get it right yes but it's ten o'clock it had been agreed upon that they should reach the ballroom at half-past ten and natasha still had to get on her dress and they had to drive to the torrid gardens as soon as her hair was done natasha in her short petticoat which showed her ball slippers and wearing her mother's dressing-jacket ran to sonya and examined her critically then she hurried to her mother bending her head down she put on it her headdress and giving her gray hair a hasty kiss she scurried back to the maids who were putting the last touches to her skirt the delay had been caused by natasha's skirt which was too long two maids were at work on it hastily biting off the ends of the thread a third with her mouth full of pins was hastening from the countess to sonya and a fourth was holding up high in the air the completed crepe gown mavrushka hurry up you old dove give me the thimble baryshnya are you almost ready asked the count coming to the door here is some perfume for you perinskaya will be on a fume there it is done cried the maid lifting up with two fingers the completed crepe dress and giving it a puff and a shake by this motion expressing her sense of the airiness and purity of which she held natasha began to put the garment on in a minute in a minute don't come papa she cried to her father who was just opening the door her head at that very moment was disappearing under the cloud of crape sonya closed the door but in a moment the count was admitted he wore a blue dress-coat short clothes and buckled shoes and was scented and pomaded ach papa how handsome you look charming cried natasha as she stood in the middle of the chamber and adjusted the folds of her skirt excuse me barnishnya excuse me said one of the maids who was on her knees pulling the skirts and she shifted the pins from one side of her mouth to the other with a deft motion of her tongue it's too too bad cried sonya with despair in her voice scrutinizing natasha's dress it's too bad it's over long now natasha made a few steps so as to look into the pier-glass the skirt was indeed too long good gracious said Arina. it isn't too long at all said mavrusha crawling along the floor after her young lady well if it's too long let us tack it up we can do it in a second said danyusha in a decisive tone taking a needle from the bosom of her dress and again squatting down on the floor to baste up the bottom of the skirt at this instant the countess in her headdress and velvet robe came timidly into the room with noiseless steps oh oh my beauty cried the count you are the best of them all he tried to give her a hug and a kiss but she blushed and pushed him away so as not to rumple her dress mamma your headdress wants to be more to one side cried natasha i will pin it on and she sprang forward so quickly that the maids who were at work on the skirt did not have time to let go and a piece of the crepe was torn good gracious what have you done truly it was not my fault no matter it won't be seen said dunyasha oh my beauty a real queen cried the old nyanya looking in at the door and sonyushka too well they are beauties by a quarter past ten finally all were seated in the carriage and on their way but they had still to stop at the torrid gardens perinskaya was all ready and waiting for them notwithstanding her advanced age and her lack of charms almost exactly the same thing had taken place in her case as with the rostovs though of course with no haste and flurry for this was an old story with her but her scraggly old form had been washed and scented and powdered in just the same way 
and she had been just as scrupulous in washing behind her ears and just as at the rostofs her ancient maid had enthusiastically contemplated the adornment of her mistress when dressed in her yellow robe with the imperial monogram she had come down into the drawing-room perinskaya could not find words enough to praise the rostofs toilet the rostofs also extolled her taste and her toilet and at last at eleven o'clock carefully safeguarding their hair and their dresses they stowed themselves away in the carriage and drove off End of chapter 14